Section 39 of The Colonel's Dream This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White The Colonel's Dream by Charles Chestnut Section 39, Chapter 39 Colonel French took his dead to the north and buried both the little boy and the old servant in the same lot with his young wife and in the shadow of the stately mausoleum which marked her resting place. There, surrounded by the monuments of the rich and the great, in a beautiful cemetery which overlooks a noble harbor where the ships of all nations move in endless procession, the body of the faithful servant rests beside that of the dear little child whom he unwittingly lured to his death and then died in the effort to save. And in all the great company of those who have laid their dead there in love or in honor, there is none to question old Peter's presence or the colonel's right to lay him there. Sometimes at night, a ray of light from the uplifted torch of the Statue of Liberty, the gift of a free people to a free people, falls athwart the white stone which marks his resting place, fit prophecy and omen of the day when the sun of liberty shall shine alike upon all men. When the colonel went away from Clarendon, he left his affairs in Caxton's hands, with instructions to settle them up as expeditiously as possible. The cotton mill project was dropped, and existing contracts closed on the best terms available. Fetters paid the old note. Even he would not have escaped odium for so bare-faced a robbery. And Mrs. Treadwell's last days could be spent in comfort, and Miss Laura saved from any fear for her future, and enabled to give more freely to the poor and needy. Barclay Fetters recovered the use of one eye, and, embittered against the whole Negro race by his disfigurement, went into public life and devoted his talents and his education to their debasement. The colonel had relented sufficiently to contemplate making over to Miss Laura the old family residence in trust for use as a hospital, with a suitable fund for its maintenance, but it unfortunately caught fire and burned down, and he was hardly sorry. He sent Catherine, Bud Johnson's wife, a considerable sum of money, and she bought a gorgeous suit of mourning, and after a decent interval, consoled herself with a new husband. And he sent word to the committee of colored men, to whom he had made a definite promise, that he would be ready to fulfill his obligation in regard to their school whenever they should have met the conditions. One day, a year or two after leaving Clarendon, as the colonel, in company with Mrs. French, formerly a member of his firm, now his partner in a double sense, was riding upon a fast train between New York and Chicago upon a trip to visit a western mine in which the reorganized French and Company Limited were interested, he noticed that the Pullman car porter, a tall and stalwart negro, was watching him furtively from time to time. Upon one occasion, when the colonel was alone in the smoking room, the porter addressed him. "'Excuse me, sir,' he said. "'I've been wondering, ever since we left New York, if you wasn't Colonel French.' "'Yes, I'm Mr. French, Colonel French, if you want it so.' "'I allowed it must be you, sir, though you've changed the cut of your beard and are looking a little older, sir. I don't suppose you remember me. I've seen you somewhere, said the colonel, no longer the colonel, but like the porter, let us have it so. Where was it? I'm Henry Taylor, sir, that used to teach school at Clarendon. 
I reckon you remember me now.' "'Yes,' said the colonel sadly. "'I remember you now, Taylor, to my sorrow. "'I didn't keep my word about Johnson, did I?' "'Oh, yes, sir,' replied the porter. "'I never doubted but what you'd keep your word. "'But you see, sir, they were too many for you. "'There ain't no one man can stop them folks down there "'when they once get started.' "'And what are you doing here, Taylor?' "'Well, sir, the fact is that after you went away, "'it got out somehow that I had told on Bud Johnson. "'I don't know how they learned it, "'and of course I knew you didn't tell it, "'but somebody must have seen me going to your house, "'or else some of my enemies guessed it, "'and happened to guess right. "'And after that the colored folks wouldn't send their children to me, "'and I lost my job and wasn't able to get another anywhere in the state. "'The folks said I was an enemy of my race, "'and what was more important to me, I found that my race was an enemy to me. So I got out, sir, and I came north hoping to find something better. This is the best job I've struck yet, but I'm hoping that sometime or other I'll find something worthwhile. And what became of the industrial school project? asked the colonel. I've stood ready to keep my promise and more, but I never heard from you. Well, sir, after you went away, the enthusiasm kind of died out and some of the white folks throwed cold water on it, and it fell through, sir. When the porter came along before the train reached Chicago, the colonel offered Taylor a handsome tip. "'Thank you, sir,' said the porter. "'But I'd rather not take it. I'm a porter now, but I wasn't always one, and hope I won't always be one. And during all the time I taught school in Clarendon, you was the only white man that ever treated me quite like a man.' and our folks just like people. And if you won't think I'm presuming, I'd rather not take the money. The colonel shook hands with him and took his address. Shortly afterward, he was able to find him something better than menial employment, where his education would give him an opportunity for advancement. Taylor is fully convinced that his people will never get very far along in the world without the goodwill of the white people, but he is still wondering how they will secure it for he regards Colonel French as an extremely fortunate accident. And so the colonel faltered, and, having put his hand to the plough, turned back. But was not his, after all, the only way? For no more now than when the man of sorrows looked out over the Mount of Olives can men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles. The seed which the colonel sowed seemed to fall by the wayside, it is true, but other eyes have seen with the same light, and while Fetters and his kind still dominate their section, other hands have taken up the fight which the colonel dropped. In manufactures, the South has gone forward by leaps and bounds. The strong arm of the government, guided by a wise and just executive, has been reached out to crush the poisonous growth of peonage, and men hitherto silent have raised their voices to commend. Here and there a brave judge has condemned the infamy of the chain-gang and convict lease systems. Good men north and south have banded themselves together to promote the cause of popular education. Slowly, like all great social changes, but visibly to the eye of faith, is growing up a new body of thought, favorable to just laws and their orderly administration. In this changed attitude of mind lies the hope of the future, the hope of the Republic. But Clarendon has had its chance, nor seems yet to have had another. 
Other towns, some not far from it, lying nearer the main lines of travel, have been swept into the current of modern life, but not yet Clarendon. There the grass grows thicker in the streets. The meditative cows still graze in the vacant lot between the post office and the bank, where the public library was to stand. The old academy has grown more dilapidated than ever, and a large section of plaster has fallen from the wall, carrying with it the pencil drawing made in the colonel's school days. And if Miss Laura Treadwell sees that the graves of the old Frenches are not allowed to grow up in weeds and grass, the colonel knows nothing of it. The pigs and the loafers, leaner pigs and lazier loafers, still sleep in the shade when the pound-keeper and the constable are not active. The limpid water of the creek still murmurs down the slope and ripples over the stone foundation of what was to have been the new dam, while the birds have nested for some years in the vines that soon overgrew the unfinished walls of the colonel's cotton mill. White men go their way, and black men theirs, and these ways grow wider apart, and no one knows the outcome. But there are those who hope, and those who pray, that this condition will pass, that some day our whole land will be truly free and the strong will cheerfully help to bear the burdens of the weak, and justice the seed, and peace the flower of liberty, will prevail throughout all our borders. End of section 39. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. End of the Colonel's Dream by Charles Chestnut.